0: Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to this episode of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author, and PR consultant, and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content events and training platform providing success strategies and resources for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. Firstly, a quick announcement. I get a lot of people contacting me asking how they can work with me. So this is a little plug to let you know that I offer a range of services to vegan and plant-based business owners and entrepreneurs, from online training and group coaching to PR, content creation and copywriting services, and one-on-one tailored individual private consultations. So if you're wanting help to promote or grow your vegan business, brand, product, service, book, or other creative project, head over to veganbusinessmedia.com and click on the work with me menu link for more details. Now for the main part of the show. Hello everyone and welcome to today's show. I'm delighted to introduce you to our guest Carissa Krantz. Carissa, a vegan from birth, is a former professional ballet dancer turned super lawyer who's the founding attorney and CEO of B Veg International, a vegan certification firm managed by the law offices of Carissa Krantz, an American law firm with offices in Florida, New York, Washington DC, Georgia and California. Carissa is a regular legal expert for major media networks including Fox, CNN, NBC and CBS. She was also an anchor in New York City with ABC chief, legal analyst and Good Morning America host Dan Abrams covering the country's biggest court trials live for Law and Crime Network. She's currently an anchor with vegan and animal advocacy media outlet Jane Unchained News Network, where she has her own weekly show, Laws That Matter, Veganism and Law. Carissa now runs the law offices of Carissa Krantz, which fights for the rights of all beings. The law firm also runs BVEG International as a practice area for vegan rights and vegan law. Bee focuses on global vegan certification for products and services and vegan labelling law. And the firm is focused on defining a legal vegan standard that provides the consumer with true truth and transparency in label laws. Welcome to the show, Carissa.
1: Thank you for having me. It's so nice to be here.
0: Wow, that is some resume that you've got. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's- it's, it's been a long road. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And so Thank one you. of the questions I always kick off with is, is people's why. So I'd love to get your, your reason, what's your why, your purpose for running your law firm and also be veg. And perhaps if you could factor in as well, or tell us also about your journey from, cause I'm really curious from professional, you know, ballerina to super lawyer. <laughs>
1: um, well, that's loaded, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, so, Basically, the why I am a lawyer and why I run B-Veg is because I was, at, ballet teaches discipline. So let's start there. I was a ballet dancer and ballet teaches discipline, discipline, work ethic, hard work, problem solving solutions. But it also, in order to be an artist, you have to be open to receive in life, open to receive um, higher energy, higher callings, and have a creative spirit. And that transferred to me into the practice of law in that, in one hand, I have great work ethic and analytical skills and problem solving skills, like you would expect of any lawyer. But then that evolved into B Veg and the why behind B Veg International and why my law firm founded this and runs this is because for me to be able to have and use my skills of being a lawyer within the law and expand the law to create and define rights for things that I care about is what drives me. Um, You know, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, one of the things that she said that really drives me that is inspiring um, is fight for the things you believe in, but do it in a way that will lead others to want to join you. And by being a lawyer, you have the ability to be an advocate and to fight for the things you care for. But by taking it to the next level and expanding rights to something you actually care about and doing it in a way that's inspirational um, to change laws, to make laws, to define laws for those that are vegan or those that may not even be vegan but may just care about truth and transparency is something that I'm passionate about. So I think in life whatever anyone's why is, it's driven by what is within them that's calling them to be passionate and to live in service of their purpose or their calling. So um, B-Veg is It's a law firm. We are a law firm for vegan rights, vegan labeling law, and vegan certification, and that has extended from my legal career after being um, a practicing lawyer, a practicing prosecutor, doing civil law, criminal law, working within the law, being beaten down by the law, going to court, doing trials, doing depositions, and you know, lawyers know how to think. So when you're taught how to think and you start questioning things in your everyday life, you realize that the law is an ever-expanding um, document or, or organism, right? The constitution would be a document, but the law is an organism. And I very much believe we live in a law-based universe and that human law is an intended version of these higher universal enlightened principles. And veganism is an area of law, basically, that needs to be defined and protected, whether it's constitutionally protected, whether it's vegan label law and labeling rights, whether it's um, who's gonna determine the nutrition of a child when you get divorced, and if one parent's vegan and one's not, or discrimination in the workplace. There's so many areas of law within veganism that must be defined and thought about. And as a lawyer realizing the lack of definition and as a vegan from birth, I realized that this was a perfect opportunity for me to merge my passion and my purpose And my education and my skills into something that can actually make a difference in this world.
0: Mm, Wow. I love that. I love this. So many great bits in that that I absolutely love. I love the quote by Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And I I really, I find it really interesting what you said about the creativity aspect, because often people think, oh, lawyers, you know, it's like lawyers, accountants, you know, it's kind of, it's a very dry profession, you know, and it's not kind of very exciting. You don't really associate law and creativity, but I love the way you kind of you know, you've, you've kind of merged those two that yes, you know how to think, but yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah. So, but I think it's actually really important. So like a lot of people can do ballet, but that doesn't mean that they're an artist, right? They know how to dance the the steps technically, but an artist is the person on stage that unleashes this energy for the audience. That's going to inspire the audience to feel this otherworldly feeling of the movement of the dance, not just the steps. And I think that, to be a really great lawyer is one that can think creatively, who can think outside the box, who can make make moves in the world, right? Make movement happen, not just work within the realm of civil procedure or the rules, the federal rules of evidence, because all that stuff is man-made interpretations and rules and regulations to help us as a society live in a law-based society, but- if you think creatively and you think as an individual and you push yourself and use your mind and individuality, then you can expand upon that and apply your knowledge to further the law, to make it better, to make it more appropriate for our times. The law is ever-changing. Just look at the Civil Rights Act, right? That started out for race and it has expanded over the years to Religion, gender equality, marriage equality, disability, and veganism will be next. It will be considered a non uh, religious moral group that should have the same constitutional protection under the law. I'm speaking about American law, but it's still generally applicable everywhere because all laws and government entities are a reflection of more enlightened ideals. So being able to practice law and understand law and then apply it to something that matters is where passion and purpose come into life.
0: Mm, I love that. I love that. I think that's going to be quite inspiring because I know we often hear about people like corporate lawyers, you know, they get burnout and then they just want to do something different. But I love that, you know, they don't necessarily have to do that. You can take, like you said, the creativity, the skills to actually make a difference and do something. Mm -hmm. And I love that you're doing this in the world of vegan and animal advocacy. I mean, that's just amazing. Um, Now, you mentioned Mm -hmm. that you're vegan from birth. That Mm -hmm. is fascinating. Tell us why. How did like, I I assume you're, you're, your, your parents be how did that that's quite rare um i think yeah.
1: so, it's It was very rare. I had no vegan friends. Um, My mom is a vegan and had a vegan pregnancy with me, actually. My dad was not. Um, My great-grandfather became vegetarian for health reasons, and he basically cured his health issue with some intestinal problem. And then the whole family went vegetarian. So I have extended cousins and extended relatives on my mom's side. And this is from Atlanta, Georgia, Jewish Atlanta... (laughs) Deep South, totally abnormal to be vegetarian or vegan. So it started with my great grandfather. So I'm a fourth generation veg. Can't say fourth generation vegan because it started with my mom, but I'm a fourth generation veg. And um, it was for health reasons. But when my mom and dad got divorced when I was four years old, four and a half, uh, my dad wasn't vegan, right? So who's going to determine the nutrition of the child, right? That's all that's, that's, Mm. that's even now for parents who get divorced, that's something that is up for debate on who's going to determine the nutrition of a minor. And there is no law on this, but the decision became mine. And at like five years old, my mom would say, you know, you're going, your dad half the week, he's going to try to feed you X, Y, and Z. This is what it is. You do what you want. I can't really control what you eat there, but just so you know what it is, I want you to be educated. And I remember at that moment, that entire conversation being like, oh my God, I love animals and I, I, I love chickens and they're an animal and a cow's an animal and I don't want to eat beef. So I made a connection and I just was very conscious about that connection. And when I went to my dad's, even though he thought it was, you know, in my best interest to eat protein and that the food pyramid at the time had meat and dairy as big components of the food pyramid. Mm -hmm. I just stuck to my, my, my moral decision, which felt right to me that I was never going to eat an animal. Um, and I stuck to it. My parents, you know, now my dad is vegan around me and I don't, you know, I don't think he's vegan when he's not around me, but he's definitely a conscious eater now and he's fully vegan around me. So it, the tables have turned in, in a really big way in the last 30 years in <laughs> that when I was with him as a child, it was always like, you need to eat this. You need to go to a nutritionist. This isn't healthy. What, like, he was concerned. He was genuinely concerned for my health. And now he's aware that this is the better way. My oh. mom was right, you know. <laughs>
0: so. Oh, I love that. I have a similar journey, not quite as young as you, but when I was 11, I remember my, I said to my mom, what's that beef burger made of? And when I, she told me it was a cow, I was horrified and then made the connection here with the chicken and the fish. And so I was like, right, it. I'm not eating animals. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. So yeah. what about during your law career then? Like did you, as a vegan, because like you say, you know, you've been a prosecutor, you've done, you know, all mm-hmm. kinds of uh, different kinds of law. Any kind of, how was that? Because, you know, assumingly that wasn't, again, vegan wasn't as quote trendy as it was did you come up against any issues any discrimination people thought you were weird did it impact your legal yeah. career in any way
1: I can't say it impacted my legal career and but I can say that I you I was used to being considered weird growing up and used to being made fun of because of my choice to be vegan and I was used to not being accommodated and I was used to going to parties or events or functions and having to eat like a side of broccoli because they didn't understand or know what vegan was and they had zero options for vegans on the table. And I just learned to, to, because I was born vegan and I was born in a world that wasn't vegan at all. I learned to exist with my choice and to be quiet about it. And in a way that's not good because then I'm, i would go around almost apologizing for my veganism rather than owning it. I think this is the first time since B veg has been born in the vegan certification business and I'm owning my truth. I think before this, I was very much apologizing for who I was. I would go to a dinner party and I'd be like, oh no, don't worry about me. Like I'll figure it out. You don't need to, you know, or or if I was at a restaurant, I didn't want to make a big deal at the table. I didn't want to ask them to go into the kitchen to ask the chef to ask whatever. So I would just kind of modify my eating habits and you know, eat like nothing or whatever I could eat and then go home and eat more. And I, I very much just didn't want to be a big deal. So I would do what I had to, to fit in. So I wouldn't be discriminated against or pointed out. Um, so I can't say it affected my career negatively in any way. I can say that I chose to just blend in and not be bold. And that wasn't brave of me to do so, but it was true. Um, and I, I don't I think it's very important. Now I'm very different about it. Now I'll go to a restaurant and I'll ask all these questions on a menu and <laughs> the waiters will look at me perplexed. And I, and my dad, he comes kind of looks at me now like, Oh God, Carissa, <laughs> like, are we really doing this again? I'm like, Yeah, I wanna know if there's cross-contamination in the kitchen on the fryer or what you know. It's <laughs> like you, you know, but and, and I'm like, but, and it's really important because we have to educate them, dad. We have to educate the kitchen and the chef that there's a demand out here. It's sitting in, at these tables for a vegan, you know, for vegan options. So it's really important that we speak up. Um, but it takes time to own yourself and to feel comfortable in your own skin and ready to do those things. Um, but as a professional, it certainly didn't hold me back. Now, it is why I chose to go to Berkeley Law School. However, it was the, I got into a lot of law schools. And when I went to admit day, Berkeley was the only one that had an entire vegan line of food and lunch line and lunch boxes and vegan everything. I was like, oh my God, I'm so home right now. I felt, I felt at home because they just, they got it. You know, there was no explaining anything.
0: I love that you chose your law school on
1: the fact they had a vegan, a vegan. Yeah, it That's was so cool. that. And then, it, well, so I wanted to go to, like, you know, I was choosing between the top schools I was accepted into and- Berkeley had amazing weather, is California, and then the others were in the Northeast and at midday it was snowing and they didn't have a vegan lunch or a vegan option. So so yeah, that's why nice. That's why I chose Berkeley. And actually today I did a show on the Jane Unchained News Network, my weekly show, and I had Will Tuttle on, Dr. Tuttle. Oh, yeah. And- he's a he's got his PhD from Berkeley oh
0: so I'm nice like, oh but I'm you were like, missing, yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Like, I was curious because like because I've been at my background is journalism and I've been vegan for 24 years and one of the things I found when I was working on staff like I was working you know in the offices of like the well like sometimes we would go out to like and have Christmas dinners and then I would be sitting around people and there would just be all the meat on the, the the you know the plates and everything and I would inwardly I would be quite traumatized and most of the time I would kind of shove it down but it got to a point I know there was one instant I think one probably one of the last places where I actually worked you know physically in the offices before I went free full-time freelance and I just kind of got up and left because I was just so traumatized and then I look back and I think that was not a smart thing to do because then you know it was kind of like oh vegans are weird if you go vegan you can't sit around people and have you know meals and stuff so that's why I was kind of curious you know as a lawyer you probably had to go to you know, then
1: yes. And so, yeah, and that stuff did happen. I don't mean to, I didn't mean to cut you off, but that's very normal. And I think that it's as much as it is hard to want to be around that and to smell it. And and the the problem is, is the more conscious you become of it and the more you allow yourself to be conscious of it, the more offensive it becomes too. Mm. But I think that it's important to try our best to um, assimilate and infiltrate and inspire others to say, Hey, you know what? Maybe that is a better way. she looks good, she looks healthy, she's thriving, and let them taste what you're doing and try to go about that in a way they have to completely disconnect from their their compassionate choices in life to eat that their cognitive dissonance and in a way, there's a cognitive dissonance in us that's required for us to be around them while they eat and make those choices, yeah, but i I do also notice a shift, so like growing up, I was always at the table, and they would make they would not only make fun of me, I would get a million questions. Well, how do you get your protein? What do you eat? Do you think a carrot has feelings? Like it (laughs) it was, it was just, it never ended. Right. And it was exhausting. So that's another reason why I often just was wanted to be quiet about my vegan lifestyle and choice. And I just wanted to be left alone to eat my carrots in a closet. Right. I didn't (laughs) want to be picked on anymore, but now I notice people have changed. And when I go out to eat, um, A lot of times people will just automatically order the vegan option around me, or they'll say, do you mind if I order such and such off the menu? Is that going to offend you? And... I think that that shows a shift in consciousness that they're even aware enough to ask the question. True.
0: Yeah. Good point. Good point. Awesome. So let's talk about Be Veg. So Mm -hmm. it's a global certification program. I can tell from the website, it's very comprehensive. You obviously put a lot of work into this. Tell us what exactly does it do and what does it offer?
1: Mm-hmm. So B Veg International is a vegan certification firm. We are global in reach. Um, we have a global trademark. Our trademark is on six continents, all but Antarctica. And what it is, is it is an accredited vegan certification firm. So what does accreditation mean? Accreditation means that not only do we have a global trademark that is globally recognized under trademark law, but we have been accredited by the International Standardization Organization, which is recognized by World Accreditation Forums for carrying out industry best practices when it comes to certification protocol and procedures. So we created a vegan standard that is quite comprehensive and technical and robust and quite irrefutable and that will be forever um, evolving through the process of certifications and dealing with factories and manufacturing facilities, because as you have to deal with technical questions and technicalities, the standard has to accommodate and learn and adopt to it because these manufacturers have not really been ever posed with the the seriousness of veganism and a vegan definition. We've for many years seen vegan labels and vegan claims and self-proclaimed vegan products and no one really knows what that means. Um, vegan has been like the wild west um, it 's anyone can claim vegan there 's been no federally regulated definition so there's you can say you're vegan and, and by what standard that means nothing um, unless there 's a set out standard with which to follow that is quite robust and technical and consumer can trust that there's been a set out standard that someone is being adhered to. And not only is the product that's being certified been audited by the certification body, but the certification body is being audited by the accreditation center, which is what um, ISO, who's um, accredited us through the National Accreditation Center, NAC. So um, b in the short is like the good housekeeping housekeeping sale of approval for all things vegan. If you see the vegan trademark on a product, you can trust that that product has been vetted thoroughly by technical auditors who are trained by B-Veg um, to not only review the paperwork and the supply chain for any risk assessment, root analysis, gap analysis, but then also have had and undergone significant and extensive on-site facility audits, much to the level of uh, food safety standards like uh, GFSI, SQF, um, Um, all of the food safety ones, kind of like kosher, you know, they take it seriously, no cross-contamination or gluten-free, no cross-contamination, but this is for veganism.
0: Right. Amazing. So, and I mean, obviously, you know, there have, there are some out there, some other um, certificate, vegan certification um, Mm -hmm. programs or trademarks that have been out there. Some have been out there for quite some time. So how is B-Veg different? Um,
1: So B-Veg is different because they also have global trademarks, right? So they have global trademark protection in different countries. Um, we have global trademark protection, like I said, in all six continents. Um, I don't know which countries they are, but I do know we have, I think, more global trademark protection than any other logo out there. But we're really different, not just because of the global trademark protection, because in reality, anyone can go file a new trademark in a new country, That's just costs money. We're different because of the accreditation. By having international accreditation, and being recognized by international ISO um, standardization organizations under ISO 17065, and we're about to gain another accreditation, which is 17067, which is a conformity assessment program. They call it a CAP program. By having this accreditation, it really makes us recognized as close to the law as possible. So it's wonderful that there are third, you, no one should ever trust a vegan claim out there that is written vegan by the, by the company themselves. You always want third-party verification, right? That's so important. And it's like that badge of approval. Like, like I'm licensed to practice law in New York, Florida, and DC. And you know, you go to the office and you see the certificates hung on the wall. Those are my certifications, right? That's my badge of approval. Um, I had a call today with a company actually in India, they're looking into a certification and They wanted to know the difference between cruelty-free and and vegan. And I said, if I were a product, um, taking a product to market for marketing reasons, I would want both. I think that cruelty-free is not necessarily the same thing as vegan. While vegan strives to be cruelty-free and everything and and means no animal exploitation, they aren't the same thing by definition. And they should be their own separate standards. Um, And the cost of certification really is so insignificant in the big picture, that it should be there to give the consumer trust, to build brand trust and to gain consumer loyalty for your brand. Because whether you're vegan or not, as a consumer, you do not want to be lied to. You do not want to be misled. And the reality is, is the way our products are today labeled, they are misleading. They are They fail to disclose ingredients. The law protects trade secrets to the detriment of consumer transparency. The law says in America that you can round down to zero if you have less than 0.45 grams of something per serving. So if you have less than 0.45 grams of sugar per serving, you could say it's sugar-free. Oh, wow. Really? In fact, yeah, that could be a lot of sugar, right? In the whole bag or alcohol-free or gluten-free even. I mean, even the gluten-free standards it comes down to very specific, technical, traceable elements, um, which for a vegan would find very disconcerting because a vegan depends on why you're vegan. But mm. if, if you're a vegan because you don't wish to exploit animals, then you want to keep the supply chain in check. And not, this is also important as a consumer to look for vegan certified products because by keeping the supply chain in check, you are affecting the supply chain to then change their practices. I cannot tell you how many factories are changing their practices in order to achieve B-Veg vegan certification. Oh, really? That's amazing. They are, and they would like, so the factory themselves might be vegan and able to be certified vegan, quote unquote, like you can't see my fingers here, but I'm doing quotes. <laughs> um, so they could be vegan, but The reality is if you travel down the supply chain of the individual products, it's very possible that one of the source ingredients at another one of the factories might have something that may not be vegan, but according to a vegan standard. So it's really important that then that main factory may not get to say that that exact product can be considered certified vegan out of that certified factory. So now they're talking to their suppliers to see if they can substitute that ingredient, in order to have the final product have a certified, you know, be included in the certified vegan you know, genre yeah. of what's coming out of that facility. So, and I've seen it happen with sugar as well. We've certified products that have had um, initially a sugar that may have been made with bone char and then they switched out their sugar supplier. So that sugar supplier then just lost a whole lot of money in business because their buyer Dropped that account because they wanted to be able to certify vegan. So they went and got the cert. They went and got a, a sugar that did not use natural charcoal or bone char, um, so they could make the vegan claim. This is important. However, I've also worked with companies who have failed the vegan certification process because of an ingredient and they decided it was too costly or too much of a headache to change their supply chain. And therefore they're just not going to continue with the certification, but they're going to continue claiming vegan on their packaging for the consumer. And guess what? They can, the law does not stop them from doing so because the law does not define veganism. Mm. So I would say as a consumer, you cannot ever trust a plant-based well, plant-based doesn't even mean vegan. Plant-based is a cop-out. But plant-based means it's plant-based. But you cannot trust a vegan claim that is not independently verified. And I think that there's a big difference when it's a vegan claim that's independently verified and accredited, because that means that the accreditation center is auditing the certification body that is laying out the standard and the actual technical scheme, which is very long. It's over 100 pages um, to... Really, define and address every single thing we come up against, so like at b veg, our chief compliance officer is um, dave McGee. he's with, he 's um, been an auditor for BRC standards and other good um, GFSI standards for more than twenty years he 's a complete expert he 's a vegan and he 's the only vegan u k food safety consultant that perhaps exists. So I feel like we're a great team, like the, the, the vegan lawyer and the vegan food safety consultant, and really tackling this in a professional, commercially viable way that is, um, or will make retail chains and manufacturers take, take veganism seriously. Because it's about time that people take us seriously. And I have to say, I enjoy this after being made fun of my whole life and not being taken seriously. <laughs> I can do No, like I would go to Subway and, you know, make everyone change their gloves before, before making my sandwich or whatever I did in life. I was like that kid that everyone made fun of. And it's time and it's time that people take us seriously. I mean, it's seriously time we're taken seriously
0: yeah for sure i love that now i know a lot of I'm, I'm curious about who the certification for because obviously there's vegan brands like kind of fairly i guess in the scale of things you know a lot of vegan companies apart from you know some of the new ones like beyond and impossible that are really growing a lot of vegan businesses today have been classified as you know sme small to medium enterprises so and i'm guessing that this is obviously and we'll talk about you know what's involved in the the certification who is this actually for is it for those kind of smaller vegan brands that have vegan products or is it are you aiming more for the kind of you know the these larger companies who can afford, you know, to, to go through, you know, this really kind of Mm -hmm. rigorous process that have maybe got a line of products. So maybe their whole, you know, they might do some meat products, but then they've got like a plant-based brand and they would like to get that certified vegan. So who is it really kind of for? Mm
1: -hmm. Um, It's a good question because we've also kind of seen the, the, the trends here with everything. I think what's really important is that the manufacturing facilities start getting on board because the reality is these mom and pop, smaller, medium-sized brands all have to get their products made at a facility. So if they have a facility that they're working with that is certified, then they don't have the same costs to bear. They just have the licensing fee because then the facility's already been certified and and audited and checked and, and the, the facility's being held accountable. Um, if, if it's, a, I mean... You know, since our accreditation, I'm, I, I know, sure, we've lost renewals because we can't compromise our integrity and our scheme for quality assurance, right? So um, the goal really is to get the manufacturing facilities to take it seriously, like they would take other food safety claims seriously. And I'm sorry, veganism is a food safety issue. You don't want cross-contamination. Look at all the pandemics and zoonotic illnesses that are coming out in this world because of animal exploitation and spillover. So this needs to be taken serious on the manufacturer level, manufacturing facility levels. But um, lots of times what I'm finding is veganism is hot. (laughs) People are finally getting on board with it. So these smaller brands that are coming to us um, and looping in their manufacturing facility to get us the standard operating procedures to begin an audit process and to... um, review the risk level of the facility. Is it a shared facility? Is it a dedicated vegan facility? Um, Is it a certified facility with other GFSI certifications that it holds? by opening the conversation, the facilities are often actually interested in just getting certified themselves, which then makes it a lot easier for the brand because then the brand really doesn't have any significant fee. It's just would be the licensing fee for use of a logo and signing a contract, Uh um, to not abuse the use of it. Um, we, we do try to work and consider revenue of companies as well. I mean, there's a whole formula that's considered in coming up with costs. Some of, sometimes it's it's the number of products. Sometimes it's the um, well, I shouldn't say sometimes it's it's this or that. The reality is it's all these things. We have a comprehensive application on our website, and when people fill it out, it has a back end um, calculator that's linked to it for us and our staff and for others to use to come up with an estimate based on the scenario of that company and that universe. And it's, it's based on a number of factors. It's based on the revenue, the number of products, the number of employees, the, the manufacturing facility. Where's the facility? How many manufacturing plants um, does that facility have or own? Um, are, is it a private label um out of a facility is it the manufacturing facility applying for a private label that's out of their facility or is it a private label that's applying for their own certification from a factory that's not yet certified therefore they should be treated like a brand owner so we do try to work with with you um but our goal is not to just sign up a bunch of companies and get a bunch of volume our goal is to really affect change at the level of the problem and the level of the problem is where the products are often made
0: and how are you finding that's happening that's going right now obviously we know we've had the pandemic a lot of businesses are going under they're looking to tighten their belts and they might see this as something like oh i just can't afford to do something like this it's almost like a luxury kind of thing so how is that panning out and are there places at the moment which are really jumping on board like you mentioned India or yeah just curious how that's kind of happening since yeah yeah, we have
1: significant interest frankly we can't keep up um so I don't think the pandemic has affected people's interest in vegan certification it might for smaller brands like you said but those brands probably really those brands will end up getting their vegan claim anyway if they start working with facilities that are certified vegan, right? Yeah. So i I haven't seen any decline in interest at all, at all. Um, and I think that this is only going to grow and catapult because this is the future. I mean, I've watched veganism my whole life, and it has it has real legs now, you know, it's, we're, we're running. We're not, it's like, I, you know, when I was little, maybe I was like tiptoeing into the vegan movement because no one was vegan around me, but it's, it's full speed now. Veganism is real. And I think what it is, my, my job is at least I feel is to change the perception of it. I think growing up, it was hard because everybody thought, oh God, veganism is so strict and it's so, it's so, it's a sacrifice and it's so constricting and it's, it's, it's not so strict. It's what's safe and it's not a sacrifice. It's, there's so many delicious options out there. And I think that, to me, be veg is cool, right? It's a way to say, Hey, I don't eat animals and I don't exploit animals. And I believe in health and I believe in the environment and I believe in the planet and I believe in truth and I believe in transparency. And this is the cool way to be. This is the way to be. This is the way to be. And yes, be veg is vegan, but it's, you know, I I'm a fourth generation veg in my family, but (laughs) so be veg, right. But, um, I believe that veganism is the way to go, and and it's all about being clean in your diet, clean in your choices, pure, and there shouldn't be cross-contamination or spillover. And frankly, whether you're vegan or not, not only do you want the information and the truth and the transparency, the checks that are in place for the vegan certification are food safety checks that are in place. So. Even if you're not vegan, you should, not, you should want to know that those checks were checked off and that those boxes were checked off because that means that facility is maintaining a level of cleanliness, which is being carried over into the final product that you're buying
0: yeah that's a good point it's safer yeah because I was going to say because I know a lot of companies now are using the term like you say plant-based which you know has different meanings it can mean predominantly plant-based but a lot of them are doing it and they say like I had someone uh, say to me recently well the majority of my clients are not vegan so they might kind of say why would I want a vegan certification if I'm aiming at flexitarians but I think you've you're what you're saying it's actually it's a benefit to them because of that safety issue
1: The safety issue, and then they have the marketing issue, right? So they want to build brand trust and brand loyalty. And the statistics show that like 80% of those that buy vegan products are actually not vegan at all, or even patron vegan restaurants. If they have two bars uh, next to each other and all things being equal and one says vegan and one doesn't, the consumer will more likely than not buy the vegan version of that bar. That's what the the statistics say. And the statistics also say that like 96% of people – Buy products based on the labeling and the packaging. So for these companies that are not necessarily targeting the vegan consumer, they don't need to, if they're with it and they're paying attention to trends, they don't need to be convinced that veganism is a major marketing sales point for them. And the reality is, is a lot of people right now, whether they're vegan or not, they're vegan curious and they want to they want to go that way and they know that's the way to go. So the bottom line always comes down to dollars, unfortunately. So that's why it's it's important for the vegan consumer to be driving the, the demand by asking and demanding for these vegan certified products, because then that affects the supply chain. And the supply chain is only going to be affected when they lose money from major accounts because of that non-vegan ingredient. So it's important that we are minding the process and the, the finances of it, because Not only is it a safety issue and a transparency issue and a brand trust issue, but it's also a marketing and sales um, bonus for these companies that are trying to, you know, bring their, bring their products to market
0: yeah so just finally for perhaps you know some of the smaller brands that think well I I would like to have this certification is it a good idea for them to put in an application to you to to be veg anyway because then when it gets to the facility side of it um, like even if you came back to them and said look you're working with a facility that's not great that can still be a a benefit because either you could say to them I mean I don't know if you do this you could say to them you might want to shift to this facility which is uh, certified and it gives them an option because like I'm conscious of, like you say, the smaller brands are not going to be able to pay for all those costs of all the auditing, whereas the licensing thing obviously is is like to be a lot more affordable. So it is still worth them putting in an application, whether it's for you to say, look, here are some other options for you to use as a facility or to even say, Mm -hmm. look, if you're stuck with this facility for the moment because of whatever reason, um, you know, go to them and say, look, you guys, you need to get this certification. So it's worth them applying, even the smaller it, brands.
1: It, it really is, especially depending on where they are in the world. Sometimes it's not as expensive to get an auditor. Um, you know, a lot of times the audits are based on, I mean, they have to be veg trained auditors, 17065 auditors. So they, they not like anyone can go audit a facility, but Depending on where you are in the world, the rates are very different. So um, it, it could be very affordable. Um, it, I would say apply, and you never know, right? You just yeah. go through the process. It doesn't hurt to fill out an application and get a custom quote, and um, you know, and and decide from there. I also know that we're we have some things in the works after we get our our seventeen zero six seven accreditation for the conformity assessment program. Um, we have some we are very much aware of what you're saying about the smaller brands who are very passionate and really want to bring their vegan product to market and they are vegan and this is their cause. And there are some major players, I guess I, you know, probably shouldn't say too much right now, but like who are investors who are also working with like, you know, the Amazon of the vegan marketplace online and they want to help these smaller brands And they want to bring them to market and they want them to succeed. And part of that success is having a valid vegan claim. I mean, just think about in terms of kosher, for example, you can't walk into a kosher store and say everything in the store is kosher if everything in that store has not been certified kosher. Mm -hmm. And right now we have vegan marketplaces online where all these vegan products are being claimed vegan and nothing is certified vegan. And right now we're getting away with that because right now there's been no federal regulation or international regulation of what vegan is and the definition of it is all over the place. So people can get away with good intentions, but the reality is long-term that's not gonna work. And there's liability attached to these stores that are bring, hold carrying these other sh- mom and pop brands that are claiming to be vegan if they're not vegan or if something's found out to not be vegan. So it's Mm -hmm. going to become very important in time. And that's a positive thing, not a negative thing, because if you support veganism, you want it to be taken seriously. And if you have a vegan product and you're one of the mom and pop brands, you should see it as something that means people are going to take your claims more seriously and that people will take veganism more seriously because it really should be taken as seriously as kosher and gluten-free. And people shouldn't be allowed to cheat and cut corners.
0: Absolutely. You wouldn't want that. Yeah, exactly. And can you give us in, I know it's a bit kind of how long's a piece of string is like you say, you do custom quotes. Can you give us any idea of the ballpark figures, say for some of the smaller ones, even if they would just have a license, what are the kind of ballpark figures that they might be looking at?
1: It really ranges based on like the number of products that they have and the number and the what their revenue would be and then the audit on top of it. I mean, if they have just like one product and like no revenue, I mean, maybe they could get away with $250 plus an audit. So it might not be so significant. If they have a lot of products and no revenue, you know, maybe we can get away with a thousand dollars plus an audit. If you're a facility, it's going to be different. Mm. Um, it, it just depends. It's a formula. So it's not really, that's why the application is so important to fill out because the application is connected on the back end to a it's a calculator for us and it it generates automatically this estimate within which we have a range to talk to you on the phone about it and to customize it for you yeah. so it's it's not like we have this secret cost sheet that we're hiding it's it's that it really is truly a customized process um, I would say it's very much similar to the gluten free process in terms of pricing though I think um, i've i've been privy to what the certification bodies have been doing with gluten-free and i think that it's similar in terms of the audits and um you know okay the, the facility can get certified and then the products can get certified but there's really not i mean there's just not oh i mean yeah i mean i guess the, it could be two hundred and fifty dollars plus an audit. That would be like best case scenario. <laughs> yeah,
0: got it. Does it apply just to food, the certification, um, or it no. doesn't apply to fashion or skincare or anything? All of it. Yeah. Oh,
1: wow. yeah. Nice. Yeah. So we have a. So we have the certification program applies to um, food, beverages, vitamins, supplements, fashion, textiles, um, cosmetics, makeup, wine, beer, liqueur. Um, yeah. So, Amazing. Yeah, um I think that the the food one is really the barometer though that has lays the framework in terms of the technical analysis for everything else. Sometimes when it comes to makeup or textiles, we need to get a 17025 lab involved and then the analysis of the vegan product is then up to the the lab on whether or not there's any trace animal products. So, um again, that also affects the quote, right? So that's why people should just apply. Um, if it's a, if it's a textile product, it might not need an onsite audit. It might just need to have, um, a certain test from a laboratory that's accredited. So it's best to apply and to find out for yourself for your company what's necessary for you, for, for your product to have yeah. a valid vegan claim that's trusted and trust me you want it to be trusted because like we're working on with another factory right now um and it's uh with diapers actually and <laughs> you know we have to be very careful because if things are not right a factory of this magnitude, which is a big one with tons of private label products out of it. So all the diapers that you see in the stores, a lot of them are from the same place, okay, being manufactured. And all you need is to have one invalid vegan claim and then Procter & Gamble to come and test it with some lab tests. And then not only do, do, do all those diapers lose the credibility, but so does the vegan claim and bee veg and everything. So it's, it's important that these claims are taken seriously
0: that's an interesting one just before we wrap up so just to confirm is there is there an application fee so i'm just no curious, there's not great so there's no. just people have got nothing to lose by putting in that initial application and everything to gain okay cool. yeah
1: there's no application fee and you you can even upload all your ingredients and suppliers and everything and we honor all ndas and we'll keep everything in the strictest confidence and protect your trade secrets attorney client privilege you know there's <laughs> no nothing you know no downside and it will allow us to give an edge educated, um, quote, and timeframe for the process. A lot of times companies call and they want to know what's your turnaround? How quickly can we do this? And the more information you give us, the more we can answer those questions right. um, with accuracy. Mm-hmm
0: got it brilliant wonderful well we'll obviously encourage everyone listening to put in an application to apply for the bee veg uh, trademark carissa that's been great i think it's amazing what you're doing i love that we've got someone like you i think i'm gonna call you i don't know if you've been called it before but if not i'm gonna name it i think you could be the ruth bader ginsburg of the vegan and animal advocacy movement so wow <laughs> that means that? a lot <laughs> thank you <laughs> i think it's wonderful what you're doing thank you so much yeah. for taking the time to explain that and it's been really. Um, helpful and obviously will encourage everyone, as I said, to apply for the trademark. It's been wonderful speaking with you today. Thank you for taking time out of your super busy schedule. And um, yeah, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. I hope you enjoyed it and found it useful. If you like the show, please give it a review on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on as it helps to get it seen by more people. There are more free resources on the veganbusinessmedia.com website to help you in your quest to build and sustain a successful business. And if you'd like to work with me personally on promoting and growing your vegan business or brand, you'll find details on how to do this on the website at veganbusinessmedia.com and clicking on the Work With Me menu link. Thank you so much for tuning in and I look forward to catching up with you on the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now.